Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Alice. Hey, now. Greg, what are you doing here? Hey, what do you mean? What I, Allison, where do you, you come from, Greg? I came from the world of childish, and I just want to make sure that your listeners know that you're just as wonderful on the on the other podcast you do. What if they don't have kids? Don't need them. You don't need them. A lot of our listeners actually tell us they don't have kids. We talk about sex. We talk about all sorts of dirty stuff, but also parenting stuff. Yeah, so. Check out Childish, new episodes every Wednesday, wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. Hi. Hello. Welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here in the studio and I'm very excited to talk to today's guest. Um, Her name is Sarah Ellis and she has a very interesting story. She is a listener of the show and someone that I've communicated with a lot and I follow her on social media and I saw... And I can't remember how many months ago, but she will let us know. She posted uh, that she had had something happened with her spine and she was in, I don't know if the first thing was she was in an ambulance or in a rehab facility and she had lost the ability to walk and she was going to have to relearn to walk. Um, And throughout it all, I have been amazed at least on social media, that she seems to have a good attitude because I would just be like, what the fuck? This is not okay. This is so unfair. Why did this have to happen to me? Um, and anyway, I reached out to her recently and and I said that, you know, I'm I'm so amazed at your story watching what you're going through. Would you be interested in coming on the podcast and talking about it? And she said she would. So here she is today. Hello. Welcome. Hi. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, when you asked me, I was like, this is perfect because I've kind of thought maybe my story was something that someone out there might like get some kind of comfort or help from. And this July is technically um, disability awareness or not awareness. They do call it Disability Pride mm-hmm. Month. Oh. Um, so I was like, that's kind of a nice little uh, a nice little tie-in i didn't even know that but that's per- yeah it's like on some level i did not really coincidence <laughs> but that's perfect yes. um so i botched your i just botched your story b- mere moments ago uh <laughs> fill me in on what happened yeah so um i've had spine surgery in the past i just have really bad discs it's kind of runs in my family but i've gotten the worst of it mm-hmm. um Almost 10 years ago, I started developing drop foot in my left foot, but it was recognized really early. We scheduled surgery. I had surgery. I recovered. I was good. Okay. And so can you explain what drop foot is? Yeah. So it's where like as you're walking, you know, naturally your like toes kind of flex back towards back toes towards the nose as you're walking so that you don't trip over your toes as you're taking steps. And so I had started to like lose the ability to pull my toes back. Mm. So were you um, tripping? So I was tripping a lot. Um and I was having back pain. So those are like the symptoms that we found. And then I was having weakness in that left side as well. Mm-hmm. Um but 
we caught it. I had surgery. I did, you know, a couple months of physical therapy after that. And I was pretty much, um, like back to normal as far as that went. And then with just every couple of years, I would just get back pain and I would end up like getting steroid shots mm-hmm. and having to do like a little bit of physical therapy and things to just for my back to feel better. And then a couple of years ago, um, I had had a bad bout of back pain and I did that whole like the steroid shots, the physical therapy. And then I started losing weight. I was like, I can't do this the rest of my life. I'm getting like closer to 40. Like things get harder and harder Mm -hmm. as you age. Um, So I started doing keto. I got really, really into hot yoga. I lost like a bunch of weight and I was doing the best I've ever been doing in my life. And then just this last December, like a week, a week and a half before Christmas, my back just really started hurting me again. And, um... I was like struggling and not feeling great. So I went to the doctor. I was going to start up that whole cycle again. And you um, thought that weight was exacerbating it? Yeah, for sure. I Mm -hmm. definitely, because I had gotten up, because a couple summers ago I did IVF as well. Mm -hmm. And like I had just really gotten up higher than like I ever imagined myself being. Mm -hmm. Um. So with like keto and hot yoga, I dropped like almost 100 pounds pretty quickly. Wow. I was feeling really great until I suddenly wasn't. It was actually in the middle of a yoga class. I had to like just go into child pose. I couldn't even finish class. Mm -hmm. And then um, I was just not feeling great, not feeling great. And then on New Year's Eve of last year, I went to the emergency room because I had in the same the left side – lost the ability to like move that ankle at all. Mm, and I was in scary. Yeah. And I was in so much pain. I was like just in tears. I couldn't get comfortable. So I spent 2019 New Year's Eve in the emergency room mm. getting just shot after shot of painkillers and mm-hmm. them not really like addressing the issue, just trying to get me out of pain. Right. Just, you know, I get it. That's unless you're like bleeding out, that's what they do in the emergency room with pain. Yeah. And, you know, you get looked at, like, is she just looking for painkillers, prescriptions, and that kind of stuff. But I'm actually surprised, not that I've had a ton of it, emergency room experience, but I am surprised that they kept giving you the painkillers. I mean, they truly believed that something was going on. Yeah, I think they could tell I was, like, actually in pain. And mm-hmm. they were giving me shots. It wasn't like they were giving me pills that I could squirrel away for right. later or sell on the street or <laughs> Or, you know, something like that. Um, But then they did pretty much get me out of pain and they sent me home. Mm -hmm. And then um, the next morning I woke up and I couldn't feel anything below my waist. And I couldn't stand. And um, so the uh, paramedics had to come. I live in a two-story townhome. And my bedroom's on the second story. So they had to bring this thing called the stair chair. Where they bring it and they get you up, like, into a seated position like a chair And then it flattens out and then it kind of like the wheels kind of move in a way that they can go downstairs. Why do we all not own one of these? (laughs) Well, (laughs) you don't want to have to be in one, I'm telling you. Yeah. (laughs) They're not comfortable. Um, Yeah. So (laughs) then um, they got me in the ambulance and took me back to the same emergency room from the night before. But when you show up in an ambulance, they take you... A little more serious. I, I don't know if I want to say a little more seriously, but it's 
it's my prioritize. It's, mm-hmm, it's obviously a more serious situation mm-hmm. if you can't get yourself there. Um, so immediately, well, you know, pretty quickly after they got me in there, and it was a full emergency room. Like I was on a gurney in a hallway. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I had my own room or anything like that. Um, so they had the spine doctor come, and he wanted definitely wanted to get an MRI. He recognized right away with my symptoms that there was that I was going to need to have surgery. And um, the first MRI was like, I mean, it was unusable because I was in so much pain. I just couldn't, couldn't hold, hold still. still. I was just, I was in so much pain. Um, what did it feel like? It was just intense pain at like the base of the spine, like where the hips kind of come off mm-hmm. of it. And below that, I wasn't really having any pain like in my legs. I just knew that I like couldn't move my feet. Mm-hmm. Um, like I couldn't move my toes. And um, I was just in pain and so much pain. And they were giving me like the biggest best painkillers that you can get in a hospital right so then i just got the doctor came back and gave me like a real heart to heart of like we need if you're gonna have function come back we have to operate as soon as we possibly can but we can't do that without a clear mri Mm. and so hours later like literally as soon as they finished my mri the people that were there to do it the engineers or technicians or whatever they they call them techs. Yeah. I think techs. Yeah. They, uh, they went home for the night. Like I was the last person. Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't know what it was. I just went into a space in my head where I just like blocked off all feeling below my waist. And I just between every scan, they would stop and make sure I was okay. And then tell me, okay, this next scan is two minutes. Mm -hmm. This next scan is four minutes. You just have to hold on for six minutes. And like, they were really encouraging me and, I can't believe I made it through it. I don't mm. know what the heck. And then um, that night, I went into surgery at 9 p.m. and came out of surgery at 2 a.m. Wow. So that was my January 1st of 2020. <laughs> so I know everybody's had a crazy year, but I started it off. <laughs> <laughs> so you get out of surgery at 2 a.m. Yeah. And at this point, what is your understanding of what's happening like after they did they did the mris what are they saying and what is the surgery to is it just more more disc stuff the stuff you've already had before yeah so my understanding going into the surgery it was that it was a disc that had protruded that had like fully more than just um herniated it was like fully in my spinal canal like completely blocking off my the end of my spinal cord and um that they also were potentially going to he described it as taking off the back of the vertebrae and drilling out more space mm-hmm. in the actual wow. bone. Um, so it was a discectomy is what they call it. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And they um, it was on two levels. So my first one, like almost 10 years ago now, um, was on the L4, L5 and the L5, S1. And this one was on the L3, L4 and L4, L5. So one mm-hmm. disc was the same as my previous and the other disc was a new one. And that was the like, the one that really did the damage was the L3, L4. Right. Because that's the one that hits that, what the very, very tail end of where you're um, in your spinal column, you have, um, 
your actual like spinal cord, but then there's more space at the bottom of the spinal column where it's just like nerves heading out. Mm -hmm. So it hit like the very end of the spinal cord, which is the beginning of all the rest of those nerves going out to your legs and all that. So there's something called quadra equina syndrome. Is that what Mm -hmm. this was? It was quadra equina. Yeah. Yeah. And um, also the sac, the dural sac, I believe it's called, that holds in the spinal cord and the nerves and the um, uh, the like li- liquid that it's all mm-hmm. in had right. severed. That's where the epidural, mm-hmm. the dural like epidural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it had oh, it actually was... torn open, so I was like leaking spinal fluid. So oh they had gosh. to patch that up. I had a drain in my back um for a few days afterward for that too. So it was like all the things that could have happened mm-hmm. happened. <laughs> so you woke up mm-hmm. two a.m. Yeah. Uh, how did you feel at that point? Um, it was pretty drugged. So it's, you know, you come out kind of feeling a little like drugged. And I had a couple of nurses that were, I remember them being, you know, very kind, nice. And like, um, for being 2am and them having to be at work, they were both in very nice moods. Um, it was kind of dark. I was the only one in the whole recovery. So I was like the only like middle of the night surgery that they had to do Mm -hmm. at that hospital that night or at least the part of that hospital that goes to the recovery room that I was in. So the lights were kind of dim. Um, but they just keep me there until they know I'm like more awake and then they have a room to transfer me to. And were you even thinking at that point about like, do I have feeling back? No, not yet. I wasn't. Yeah, no, I wasn't really even thinking about that yet, but I certainly, I think I did think going into it, that after the surgery, I would obviously have to do some rehab, but I thought I would like pretty quickly, if not instantly, have back most of my motor control. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a lot <laughs> to yeah. learn. Um, but so that then, so then January 2nd, that first day that I was in the hospital post op, um, I just kind of posted online, like, hey, I want you to know I'm okay, I'm recovering, but I'm in the hospital, yada, yada. And that day, I had 12 different people come visit me. Oh, wow. Not to mention the night before when I had called my mom and told her I needed surgery. She, like, booked a flight and drove to Seattle and got on a plane. And or she spent the night in Seattle and got on the plane the next morning. So I, like, just was surrounded by love immediately like so nice everybody came so yeah so it like you start out like being in such a good place because you're like everybody's here for me I'm getting all this positivity my room is full of flowers and candy (laughs) and uh and then you then physical therapy come in for your like 10 minutes a day because when you're just in the hospital they have to like go room to room they Mm -hmm. don't you don't get a whole lot of time with them and, like, they were just even trying to get me to stand up, which I could only, I think, only do because I have, with all the yoga I was doing, I had mm-hmm. such great op- upper body strength that mm-hmm. I could, like, hold myself up with my arms, really. I wasn't really standing. You're putting weight on your legs, yeah. No, not really. So, um, so that was, like, kind of the first realization that, like, okay, this is going to be a lot more than, like, my prior mm-hmm spine surgery i'm just gonna jump mm-hmm. ahead real fast yeah. and then we'll go back yeah. as of right now so this mm-hmm. happened very beginning of 2020 mm-hmm. we are now in july yep what is your 
um are you you're not are you able to walk yet um i am in the process of transitioning to from using a walker to using a cane um i have braces on my legs from like below the knee to they come down under my foot Mm -hmm. and they hold my ankle like at a 90 degree angle because i'm not able to move my ankles on my Mm -hmm. i mean with the physical therapy that i've been doing i get little twitches and you know we get really excited that i'm able to engage the muscle but Mm -hmm. i'm not like i'm not able to like walk on my own on them yeah unassisted um and but can you move your but can you move your you can move your legs somewhat like you Mm -hmm. can yeah i can move at the hip like normal i can move at the knee like normal it's just below the knee that um needs help (laughs) And is that, do you have other limitations or it's it just that? And I'm not saying, I'm not belittling that at all. Um, I mean, yeah, there's definitely like a stamina issues with all of that too, because, you know, even though we were working on like endurance and um, distance walking and stuff within when I was, you know, doing the physical therapy, living in a physical therapy center after the hospital, um, I came home and got like a week and a half of home care physical therapy to make sure I could get around my house. Mm -hmm. And then COVID hit. Right. And then I really had like nobody helping me, telling me do these exercises, keep working on this. And and I was getting stronger too, just from what I was able to do and remember. Um, But I had like almost a month of like, kind of feeling really stagnant and that um, um, I was feeling like sad, like my recovery was really stalled. So uh, COVID really did a number on me, but I'm back in outpatient physical therapy. I'm going twice a week to a physical therapist. So going back Mm -hmm. to now you're in the hospital January 2nd. Yeah. Or thereabouts. Um, And so then how long were you in the hospital before they moved you into a rehab facility? Um, So I was in the hospital for, um, I'm trying to do the bath- backwards math. <laughs> I was in the hospital for nine days. They, I had gotten approved and there was a room for me at the rehab, um, like almost immediately, like even before my drain because of the, um, the spinal fluid, mm-hmm. even before that was out, they were already approved me for like the place that's supposed to be the best place in Southern California. And I, I would, my opinion is that is true, Mm -hmm. um, based on my experience. Uh, but then it was waiting on insurance to get it approved for me to get transferred to, um, to it's called Cal California rehab Institute. Mm. It's in century city and they're wonderful. Um, like just compassionate care. Cause I mean, there were things like, at first, I couldn't even dress myself. I couldn't, like, after going to the, I couldn't go into the bathroom by myself. Mm-hmm. I couldn't pull up my own pants after going to the bathroom, you know, just you all wipe? those things. I, <laughs> I could wipe, yeah, because like, wipe, my hands and yeah. my, but there were certain things they would check on because you have post-spinal surgery, you can't, like, twist certain ways and bend certain ways. So they would, like, check for you and, you know, you have you learn to, you know, give up some dignity in those moments. And right. they were just so kind and compassionate. The nurses that I worked with there and then the physical therapists I work with there were amazing. 
Um, right away, though, when I got there, so I think I got there like January 9th or 10th, um, pretty early on, they were asking me quite frequently, like, do you feel short of breath? Um, your heart rate's pretty high. How are you feeling? And then I started getting like weird, lightheaded moments where I thought like, I thought, am I having a panic attack? I've never had mm-hmm. a panic attack. I don't know what that would feel like. Um, so then my doctor, the doctor that was on my case at the rehab, um, just out of caution was like, we're just going to do an ultrasound on your legs. We're just going to check you for um, blood clots, Mm -hmm. which is really common after spinal surgery, especially when like my first spine surgery, I was up that day. Like I got out of surgery and hours later they had me up walk, like actually walking. Mm -hmm. Um, So I never went on any blood thinners. Whereas this one, it was clear that I was not going to be up moving around. Mm -hmm. I was sedentary in bed for like at least those nine days. Um, so I was getting a low dose um, blood thinner afterward that was like an injection. Mm-hmm. And um, it's like supposed to be just enough blood thinner to t- prevent blood clots, but not so much that like you're going to keep bleeding from your internal wounds from the right. surgery, like the oh. surgical site. Right? right. Well, so they did the um, ultrasound on my legs and my legs were literally like the word the words the doctors used riddled with blood clots. Oh my God. So then they decided to schedule a chest CT again, just out of an abundance of caution. And then they sent me to Cedars in uh, Beverly Hills to get a chest CT. And I was like fully prepared to like take the ambulance to the, you know, no lights or sirens. Just that's how they transported uh-huh. me. Cause I was on a gurney cause I couldn't stand or walk for myself yet. Um, so they sent me to Cedars. They did a chest CT. I thought I was going to go right back. They admitted me to the ER immediately. Did they tell you what was going on? What they were they saying? Said they found that there were blood clots in my lungs, That's so um, scary. in the arteries around my lungs. Um, it's amazing because doctors are so well trained to move with intention without trying to cause alarm. Mm-hmm. But I am such an intuitive person that even though the behaviors of the people around me weren't telling me that they felt like there was an emergency. Mm-hmm. I knew that they thought I was going to die. Wow. And um, that that day I had another emergency surgery. They removed 15 um, pulmonary embolisms. Oh, my God. Um, they did – before that, they did um, a ultrasound of my heart. And I looked over and I could tell, like, like where's the other half? <laughs> It was like, because there were so many blood clots in those arteries that the heart couldn't pump the blood mm-hmm. through um, to get oxygenated. So that side of the heart had been working so hard to pump the blood that it was just like a flap hanging off the other oh side God. of my heart. I'm no doctor. Sure, I've watched a lot of Grey's Anatomy. I feel I'm like I know sure what- those are the technical terms. Yes. <laughs> I, feel like, I feel like... I know what, like, the heart, two sides of a heart should look like Mm -hmm. in ultrasound, and it wasn't that. Um, So they prepped me. They sent me in for um, this procedure where they – I'm forgetting what it's called. I think it's a thrombectomy. But -hmm. basically, they um, go up, like, just above my right leg, up the femoral artery. They Mm -hmm. stick a, like, balloon up, and then it has, like, a little – 
basically like a vacuum that just sucks the clots out. Uh And then over my chest, they have like an x-ray so they could see where they're going and get the right aim. And it was, I remember wheeling there to the room as they're telling me what they're going to do and thinking like, if they put me under anesthesia, I'm not going to wake up. Uh And so then when I met the anesthesiologist and she's like, you're not going to sleep. I'm just going to make sure you don't feel anything. It's going to be like you took like 10 shots of tequila. Oh, my God. Was this? I was so relieved. Was this? If I know that you probably know because you're a regular listener of my show. Yes. Was it Versed that she gave you, which is my favorite IV drug? She never told me, but I feel like it was probably Versed. I feel like I need to clarify that when I said it's my favorite IV drug as if I have like, (laughs) uh, you know, the menu of all the IV drugs. I just mean... I've had it in surgical settings, and if you ever have the opportunity to get it, I recommend it. It I've never felt so at peace. I've actually had Versed because I also did IVF right uh, two summers ago. So, um, and it was after you had talked about it, and it, it was it was great. Yes. I- was telling everybody how beautiful I thought they were. <laughs> yeah, it's, it really. I've never done ecstasy, but I feel like it's got to be similar. Oh um, yeah, you said that you thought that if they put you under you weren't gonna wake up yeah why did you what made you feel that way or what made you know that if that's the truth um it was just something I was reading in the internal things about all the doctors and people coming in and out of my room in that Uh time I don't even know it could have been 25 minutes it could have been four hours between getting admitted to the ER that time to being taken um but like even little things like while the technician was in doing the um echocardiogram on Mm me the one of the nurses that i had been working with came in and was like oh so how how much longer do you think how how many more images urgency yeah and even before that i knew there was but in that moment it was like kind of a confirmation Mm -hmm. and down the line talking to some of those doctors later, they definitely confirmed that they thought they were about to have like a 36 year old, otherwise healthy woman just die in their mm-hmm. ER that night. So Jeez. I was like, okay, I wasn't just like the energies I was picking up on were accurate. accurate like that, yeah. yeah. So you were awake during this, this, what we think is called a thrombectomy. Yes. Um, and, Do you remember it well? Yeah, I remember all of it. It was kind of crazy because it was sort of like if you had like a bunch of dudes over to your house to watch a football game (laughs) and you're like in the next room over trying to read a book, but like kind of dozing into like sort of nappy state. Mm -hmm. But then you would hear them go like, whoa, like if there was a touchdown, Uh like every single blood clot that they sucked out, they like cheered and gave like a hearty round of attaboys to each other uh-huh so, to me it was like is this the first time they've ever done this like <laughs> what's going on and and also they would like give me um instruction like take a deep breath now hold it mm-hmm. and then i'd hear whoa and then they'd be like okay you can breathe normally again um so yeah, I was fully awake. I remember a lot of it. I remember at one point they showed me all the blood clots that they pulled out. Wow. Because I was like, I want to see what you guys are cheering about. <laughs> Don't leave me out of this. What did it look um, like? They look like so they're kind of white and squishy looking. 
um, with like red, like they have blood on them, kind of reddish mm-hmm. tint. Um, one of them was like, it almost looked like that little bit of either side of the elbow of a Barbie arm. Like if you cut off like a Barbie's elbow at either mm-hmm. side. Um, and then later I got to see pictures of all of them. There were 15 of them. Wow. One of them was what they call a saddle embolus, uh-huh. which means it was in the the artery that goes bridges the gap between the two lungs, mm-hmm. which is like the deadly one. So you're super lucky, right? Because yeah, I'm these super could lucky. have created a. Am I understanding they could have created a stroke or a heart attack or how? Do, what um, what happens with them? Blood clots, of course, can cause stroke. But what I was at risk for was full cardiac arrest. Like my heart was done trying mm-hmm. to get the blood through. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's that's what I, the main thing I was at risk for. And they were – what caused them? So, um, because I – like I had said, I was on like a low-dose um, blood thinner post-surgery. Well, what it turned out was that that particular blood thinner, it's very, very rare, but people can be allergic to it. Oh. And what's very nice about that when you're allergic, the reaction is that your body creates blood clots. Oh, so they Apparently, were injecting you with something that makes clots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So my body was just creating clots all over. My legs were swelling for months. My legs were swelling to like two, three times my of like my normal calf from just because once they got the the really deadly clots out of my lungs and stuff, then they're. Um, They weren't, like, wanting to remove the clots out of my legs and stuff. They just wanted to break them down Mm -hmm. because they were sure at that point that they were able to get them to not continue to migrate up to my lungs um, or or my brain. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, So that – yeah. So it was an allergic reaction to the blood thinner that I was on. So then they had to keep me there on, like, an intravenous blood thinner – until my platelet counts came back up to a mm-hmm. certain amount because that had gotten like really dangerously low. Um, and, and your then platelets the, were low because of the blood thinner? I think, I think. it was. Or no. It, it might have been part of the allergic reaction to the blood oh. thinner. I think it was also partially to do with the lack of oxygen getting mm-hmm. circulated in my blood. Um, But then they could switch me to an oral blood thinner. And then that's what I've. I'm still on to this day, um, the Zeralto. <laughs> so were you scared? That incident with the pulmonary embolisms is the scariest thing I've ever been through in my entire life. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I literally feel like I cheated death in a way. Yeah. And that, um, like, I don't think I'll ever be afraid of anything else because that was just so, so scary. Like after my spine surgery, when I was having paralysis and things with that, it's like, well, that's sad, but people live full and happy lives in wheelchairs. Mm -hmm. Like it's not a death sentence. Whereas the blood clots, I thought I was going to die. So Mm -hmm. that was pretty terrifying. That is really, really scary. And that you were basing that, on the energy that you're picking up. Yeah. Yeah. And just the like, yeah, kind of the urgency I was just feeling in the whole Mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. So then you went back to the rehab center? Yes. 
And then that's when I decided to take myself off of, well, because I spent like nine days in Cedars again Mm -hmm. after that. So by the time I got back to rehab at that point, it was like the very end of January. Like I had almost lost a whole month at that point already. Um, And I was just like, I'm done with painkillers. I don't need them. I'm only going to take things I absolutely need to take, like the blood thinners. And then Mm -hmm. I was also on some, it was pain medication, but it's for nerve pain. Mm -hmm. Um, Because as the nerves are kind of coming back, you get lots of little prickly, painful, like shooting pains and stuff. Right. Um, But I, like, as far as like uh, narcotics kind of, I wanted to be off them because I could tell they were making me fearful too, like Mm -hmm. fearful of trying to walk and that kind Mm -hmm. of thing. So that's when I just like really started hitting it as hard as I could to get my recovery. Um, Something that I would have never gotten to experience if I hadn't had this which as someone who's like kind of a techie tech geek um, is very cool. The rehab facility that I was in had just purchased an exoskeleton Mm -hmm. and they were learning. You should explain. I only know that because I follow you on social media. So it's very cool. Explain what this is. It's so cool. It's um, basically bionic legs that they strap onto you. You do have to have like the trunk and core strength to keep your upper body upright. Mm -hmm. And also you use kind of your core to, um, direct the legs to go but they strap on these legs and they like it's especially for um spinal cord injury um patients it's important to get them on their feet and get those nerve receptors feeling what it's like to be on your feet and taking steps and cover recovering ground and um like the neuroplasticity so I got to, while the, some of the physical therapists there were learning how to use these new legs, they had the the people from the company there um, for like the first couple of times I got to do it, teaching them how to use it and how to record the, the like walks and stuff and um, like adjust the gait and adjust like all these different things about the legs depending to help with the person for how their steps go because I Mm -hmm. was having what they call proprioception issues where like if I wasn't looking at my feet I couldn't tell where it was in space so Mm -hmm. like if I were to lift my knee my foot would like do these big circles to try to like figure out where to go down Uh to be moving forward interesting and so like these help tell your muscles like this is forward and so many different things. Like the body is truly amazing with how it can heal. Um, neuroplasticity is like a science that I don't fully understand, but it's like something that has been major in my recovery. Just learning like sometimes it's not about the quality of movement. It's just the making the movement. Um, it's about taking off my socks and shoes and putting my bare feet on the ground so that my feet relearn what the ground feels like and like wakes up those nerves. And so this exoskeleton is just like a big um, way of helping spinal cord injury people get back to moving um, and get their body relearning those mechanics of what it feels like to take steps. And it's the coolest thing because you do feel like bionic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I got to do that the whole like at least once a week, the whole 
rest of the time that I was there. And I was there through, like, I got to leave on February 27th, which was, this year was a leap year. So two days before the end of, so like almost an entire two months I was in the hospital and not home. And you posted that you cried when you were reunited with your dog. Yeah, which both made times. me cry a little bit. <laughs> both times because um, I didn't get to. So it was, I'm sure, traumatic for her seeing me get getting taken out of my home by these big men that she didn't know, and she knew I had been in pain. Like dogs, I mean, I think dogs know that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, and then just because of the nature of where I was, like. The first time I got to rehab, the first thing I did was talk to my physical therapist about how I wanted to do a visitation with my dog because they have like a nice patio outside. Mm-hmm. So the dog couldn't come in like to the room. Right. But she could be brought in and the lobby and the the um, patio outside. She was allowed. So like the first thing I did was try to get the privileges to go out and have those visitations outside so I could see her. And I'd gotten the privileges and we were setting up um, her to come see me. And then I ended up in Cedars with the blood Mm -hmm. clots. Right. So I didn't see her until January like 27th or 28th or something. I was looking at the pictures in my phone to look at the date recently. Mm -hmm. And it was like the very end of January. So it was like almost an entire month that she didn't see me. And so when I rolled up in my wheelchair to see her that first time, she lost it. I lost it. It was like a whole, you know, she couldn't hold still wagging her tail and like squealing almost. And I'm Uh just crying because I miss her so much. (laughs) And then when I got home finally and could sit on the couch with her, it was just like, oh, my baby, you know. (laughs) Yeah. How was that first night? back in your own bed or back it was, home it was good uh, my mom came down to get me out of rehab and help me get situated back at home so we shared a bed <laughs> <laughs> um it was good though i mean there just it, it was kind of it changed the way i sleep sleeping mm-hmm. in a hospital bed for two months i used to be a stomach sleeper which is like the worst thing for your back anyway <laughs> um now i pretty much sleep on my back or on one my left side. Um, so at first, like, even though I gained so much strength in rehab, um, the moving around in bed was difficult. Like I was having to like grab onto the back of my headboard to like scooch mm-hmm. my body and stuff like that. So it was different or like getting up at the, the simplest things, like to get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom for me were like, I had to wake up enough to sit up, put on my braces that go around my legs um, and then like slowly walk with the walker into the bathroom. And at that point we hadn't like mod, hadn't figured out modifying the walker enough that I could go straight into the bathroom. I was like having to sidestep in because <laughs> you live in a, a, like an older town home, like all the doorways are you know, narrow and stuff. Um, and then you get, after all that, you get back into bed and then it's like, takes forever to fall back asleep because now you're so awake (laughs) from that adventure. (laughs) Um, so like I said at the beginning, Mm -hmm. I have looking and you have, I mean, people will see the photo, but like you have a very, like high wattage smile, radiant presence. You, you have like a very bubbly, um, sort of infectious way about you. So, so I think 
probably like even when you're unhappy, when you smile, you you look like you're in an okay place. Yeah. Um, but I was, you know, I, I just kept noticing throughout this journey, you would post a photo of, of something going on at the rehab facility and, and you just seemed to be, to have such a good attitude. And I was, you know, and I, I said this a little earlier, but, but I'd, I'll say it again, like it bears repeating. <laughs> I would look at that and I'd be like, I would just be angry and I would feel sorry for myself. I don't like, how is she doing this? So my question to you is, how were you really in good spirits the whole time? I had a couple of down days. I never had like um like a I always knew that I was I'm going to recover fully or you know pretty they had close told to you fully. that. No. You I just, just know I will <laughs> and that I had to just work my butt off and like when I have a goal I'm like ferocious towards meeting that goal. Mm-hmm. Um sort of like you know, a little over a year prior to that when I was like, okay, I can't keep having these back flare-ups every couple years. I need to lose weight. And and then I just like ferociously went after keto diet, intermittent fasting, and hot yoga. Mm-hmm. And it like changed my whole body. Um, didn't save my spine though. If I had done it sooner, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm just sort of someone that like gets – I ha- I see a goal and I just have to like go for that goal. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not to say that I didn't have like hard days, but especially when I was in rehab, like you see when you go from like not even being able to dress yourself to like basically being left alone in a shower because mm-hmm. they trust that you're doing okay um, and that you're strong and that you- things are working again. Um you just see improvement so rapidly that it's just hard to not just keep going. Mm. So where I had the like moments of like maybe a little feeling sorry for myself or like wondering if, if like this was all going to be worth it or whatever would have mostly been in those early days of COVID of quarantine where I'm like, I can't do anything like Mm. how, how do I keep – how do I – like, can I pick up again after this? And when mm-hmm. is this going to end? And, you know, how am I going backwards? Which I wasn't. It was just the the changes were so small, you know. But forward is forward. So I just had to – once I realized that, I had to just keep moving forward. And I'm still working at it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, it's it's a lot. And I guess occasionally I'll have, like, a fleeting thought of, like, well, what if I am, like, the best I can do is that I walk with a walker forever. It's like, well, I'm walking. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, like, can do a lot. Like, once I actually – the big thing was because I actually missed yoga. One of the – the two crying for the dog and then there was one crying for um, I missed yoga which is crazy because I don't know, I had never been a workout person in any capacity, but I had uh-huh. just fallen so in love with hot yoga. And I told one of my physical therapists and they're like, oh, we do like kind of a group yoga here. And it was, it's not really yoga, but <laughs> it was like being in a room with that intention and the bre- the connecting the breath to the movement and the, you know, calming music and the lights really low. I like 
cried <laughs> in yoga, in like rehab yoga mm-hmm. um, that first time too. <laughs> and then um, just recently I've started being able to get myself onto the ground and off the ground again. So I can actually do not yoga yoga, but I can do like, I can get into child's pose. I can do cat cow and like a few other like more of the restorative yin yoga poses, Mm -hmm. um, which has been amazing to be back on the mat. And that's really new. It does sound like you had a a really good rehab facility Mm -hmm. um, in that, like, it sounds like you felt really cared for and seen and all those things that are important. Yeah. Protected. It was. Um, Did you, in, in all of this, did you encounter anyone that wasn't kind. Hmm. Not anyone that wasn't kind. I had this one physical therapist that was like the spinal cord injury guy Mm. who, um, I met with him once before the blood clots And he was, like, wanting me to do things that I was just so afraid. Because at that point, I didn't have any braces or anything on my ankles. And so the thing was, like, even though I could, like, really, like, hold myself up with my arms, I was afraid to step down on my feet because my ankles would just turn sideways and roll. And I was afraid that because I had decreased sensation down there as well that I would sprain my ankle and then I wouldn't be able to do any of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it would set me way, way back. And so I like had a lot of fear, but he's seen so many people in my position and people in worse positions than me. Um, so he just had like a push and a drive that I wasn't ready for the first time I met mm-hmm. him. And then even at the end, even though I, he ended up being like such a godsend and like such a he's so great at what he does. He was still like even the last few days pushing me to do things that I was uncomfortable doing that he was like, what if we could send you out of here instead of with a walker with the elbow crutches? And so he'd like try to make me try the elbow crutches and they're just way not stable enough and I wasn't stable enough. Now, if he tried to give me elbow crutches, they'd be too easy because I'm Mm -hmm. moving on to a cane. Um, But so now I think about like the things I'm able to do that he was pushing me to do then, but he never, even if I was scared in the moments of things he was having me do, I wouldn't, he never would have let me be unsafe. Mm -hmm. Like I always had like a gate belt on and he was right there and strong. Um, But yeah, I think his approach at first took me aback, but I think it's because he's done this for so long and knows what people are capable of and knows that the more you push for the earlier on, the better mm-hmm. results you get in the end. Did you end up doing the things that he wanted you to do like in that first session or did you say no? Um, I would try them until like I would feel my ankle wobble or something like that. And um, I do attribute some of that fear to the um, being on like narcotic painkillers. Mm-hmm. Um I think because I think as soon as I got like my head clear and got Mm. rid of that kind of stuff out of my system, I was so much more willing to try. I was so much more like, okay, if I start to feel my ankle twist, like I'm between these parallel bars, I can just lift up with my arms. I know I could like lift myself up and not even have to have any weight on my feet Mm -hmm. if I have to, you know? Do you... I'm trying to, I'm just trying to understand Mm -hmm. potentially what the narcotics, like how they were affecting you. 
in a way I, that created fear? Was it like you? I think what had, it was had was less understanding my, of nuance, or yeah, like my head was so fuzzy that I felt like I, um, even in myself, like I couldn't trust myself mm-hmm. for things that if with a clear head I knew I could catch myself with my arms because I strong upper body, mm-hmm. but in the like hazy, drugged out me, I'm like, well, I'm not going to have reaction time, mm-hmm. you know, I see. Or, or maybe I wasn't even that fully um, completed of a thought and it was just fear mm-hmm. that I couldn't control what was going on because I was so fuzzy. I do feel like those drugs kind of, I mean, this is an overstatement, but like mm-hmm. blunt the like higher level functioning of like, oh. you just sort of like just pure reactions Mm -hmm. especially when you've been on them as long as I was at that point because I had been on them like weeks and weeks regularly you know was it hard to get off no I just one day I was while I was still at Cedars after the procedure for my blood clots um I was just you know they would come in and they would offer whatever and I would say you know I just don't need that this time and they'd be like okay you have the call button if you need it you know and I'd just be like no I'm just gonna try some Tylenol this time Mm mm-hmm you know, and so just, no, I was just, just kind of determined that I didn't want it and didn't need it. Um, I want to get into your background a little bit and um, like w- this motivation and determination and um, enviably good attitude that you have, like where does that come from? I don't know. <laughs> I'm a Pisces. Um, I don't know. I grew up with, um, a single mother and her sister and, and then her, my mom's parents as well. But I feel like I grew up with like these strong female role models, Mm -hmm. even if I don't know that they saw themselves as such. Um, And I just, like, even though, like, on paper, if I wrote down about my childhood of, like, my father not being in the picture and, you know, we were very poor, um, that it would sound like it was a rough childhood. But I only remember being happy. So I think it's just my disposition. Mm -hmm. Do you Um, have siblings? I do have one younger sister. Um, She's, like, my best friend. Um, and she's the sweetest. She sent me, she was the first one to send me flowers <laughs> in the hospital. And I haven't seen her since uh, this year. She was supposed to come, but COVID kind of ruined that. Right. But I um, I do have a trip planned up there to see them. Good. Next month. Hopefully. Hopefully that works out. Are you nervous about, I w- well, I was going to say, are you nervous about flying given, um, needing a, a cane and stuff like that. But actually mm-hmm. also, are you nervous about flying giving, given COVID? I'm, I'm operating under the assumption that flying right now is actually pretty safe because people aren't doing it unless they have to. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to wear a mask and I'm going to just, I don't know, I'll test. Even though I'm flying into SeaTac because they live up in Washington, the little small town where they actually live, like I think, has like no cases of COVID. So I have to get through SeaTac, but then I think I'm pretty safe while I'm up there. It's just the getting there and getting back. Um, I'm actually probably safer up there than I am here in Los Angeles right now. 
you grew up in LA area, right? Yeah, I grew up in the Valley in like the Chatsworth, Northridge area. And then also just over the hill from there in Simi Valley, which is technically Ventura County, but Mm -hmm. greater Los Angeles area. And you yeah. are an Apple genius. Is that what they call? I is that yes. what, what yeah. that's the actual title? Okay, that is the and actual title. Yeah, you work at the Genius Bar. People come yeah. to you. Yeah, um, for you to fix their stuff. Yep. Were and you always sometimes inter- their emotional problems? <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you always interested in tech and going in that direction? Oh yeah, I was definitely the kid that would like want to take the remote control apart to see what was inside. Um, I had like, I was one of my first friends to have a computer. I, you know, had the internet and was like in internet chat rooms really early on, like in the AOL days, Mm -hmm. but I had something else called wow. Um, which I remember it was just like more colorful, more like younger and hipper than AOL (laughs) in my opinion. Um, and then, um, I, didn't really I did I did some like like um web design like very rudimentary web design stuff in junior high but we're talking like the early to mid 90s so it wasn't like I mean it was I could do a little html it wasn't you know I don't even think there was really much like flash wasn't even what it is now mm-hmm. um and then in high school I really didn't do very much, although I like understood how to use the computer, I understood how to use Google. Actually, Google was something new when I was in high school. I like remember Google coming out. And um, yeah, before that, I remember using like Alta Vista and like mm-hmm. those. And Ask Jeeves. Yes. <laughs> and you felt like when you did a search, you actually had to form it in a question. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but the, in high school, I focused more on like music and musical theater. Mm-hmm. So I came up doing like a lot of musical theater and then um, did a couple years of college, didn't finish, but mostly was doing like singing in college. And then um, and and before high school, sorry, I had moved up to Washington. So mm-hmm. I grew up down here in the valley and we moved up to Washington State where my mom still lives to this day um, in a really tiny town called Squim. So if any of the listeners know Squim. Squim, that's the cutest sounding uh, town. It's spelled like sequin, but with an M at the end. I love it. Yeah. And it's right there on the peninsula, the northmost coast. So my mom lives on the beach. Mm -hmm. And can see see like Mount Baker out her window and can see fireworks on Canada Day from across the water and stuff like that. And the, um, the, uh, Channel Islands, you can see on clear days and stuff like that. Um, so we moved up there the summer before I started high school. So I went to high school and a couple of years of college up there and just was focusing on like musical theater and singing and sang some opera for a while. Wow. So Did you, is that what you mm-hmm. wanted to, I mean, that must be what you wanted to do, right? Yeah. Yeah. I thought I would do like musical theater or, or opera. Um, mm-hmm. I thought if I stayed in Washington, like the Seattle opera is pretty pretty prestigious. Um, but I need palm trees and sunshine <laughs> in my life. So I moved back down to LA. Well, I moved back down to Simi Valley. Um, and did like local musical theater there and, um, uh, was just looking for a job. And I got, um, I went to this recruiter at this 
company that no longer exists, but at the time was one of the top two mortgage banking companies in the world. Oh. Or at least in the country. And uh, the recruiter that I worked with, like through their like internal temp hiring, um, her brother was like the head of IT and was looking for someone they could just do like data entry kind of stuff. So she and I hit it off. So she sent me to her brother, thought I'd be a good fit. And they fully trained me. And I was like in call center tech support for the company. So other people that worked for the same company, um, I did their tech support over the phone. And then I graduated to like moving over to one of their buildings with like executives where I would do their on-site tech support. Mm-hmm. So I fully trained like my like real even though I think I had an aptitude for it anyway, like my real training and like initial learning how to do tech support was through um, Countrywide. (laughs) That's really- got bought out by, I think they got bought out by US Bank if I'm remembering correctly. But I got laid off in 2008 during the big, the big scandal of um, uh, Countrywide and Washington Mutual. And they're like doing the subprime loans because they were so greedy. And then they got- they just lost, like, so many people lost so much in that scandal. But, like, the CEOs of those companies, they still have yachts. They're still yeah. millionaires, maybe billionaires, at least multimillionaires. So, I but. know. They're always protected. It's pretty corrupt. Luckily, I got laid off before it, like, really, really went down because some people, like, really got nothing. And mm. I got, like paid for a year while I figured out what I was going to do after losing that job. And so that's when I applied for Apple. And I've been with Apple. It'll be 12 years next month. Okay, I have a dumb question. When you got laid off, but you knew you were going to be paid for a year, what were your feelings about that? Because I would a little bit be like, woohoo. Oh, yeah, I was definitely woohoo. I was definitely over that job. (laughs) (laughs) uh, You know, now having done like almost 12 years of like sort of retail hours. I miss the like Monday through Friday, nine to five. Mm -hmm. You know, the grass is always greener. Um, But yeah, that was hard. I was also like one of the only, I was the only woman when I was in that executive office. I was the only woman in the IT department there. And I was in charge of all the asset management for the different groups there. Um, And there were a lot of people that would look at me like, a woman's doing this? It's like, yeah. And I am awesome at it. So get used to it. <laughs> so you've been with Apple for 12 years now. When yeah. do you think you'll go back? Oh, well, there are no, no, there's no need to go back now. I, sometimes yeah. I forget what's going on. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Um, I'm really, really hoping that September I'll be able to go back. So just a couple of months. Um, we'll see. I think they'll have to be able to make some accommodations for me because I don't mm-hmm. think I'll be able to go straight back to being on my feet, going between appointments all day long like I used to. I mean, obviously, we also did repairs. um, So I think I just have to see if there could be a balance of me more on repair. I feel like I'm going to have to go through a bunch of training when I go back. Like so many things will have changed, Mm -hmm. Um, like new software, new hardware and all of that. In general, when people come in, are they yeah. super frazzled? Because something that um, mm-hmm. back when I worked at Time Out New York, I remember the people that worked on the website were always almost um, 
frustratingly calm and peaceful because people like editors would be going up to them all the time being like you know our page isn't loading or this isn't happening or blah 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 blah. you know people were like constantly bringing their freakouts to them and they were just like okay you know (laughs) and they were so zen about it so I'm wondering I imagine when people come into the apple store oftentimes they're freaking out you certainly get the mixed bag of you know how people I mean there's all different kinds of situations that can go wrong and all different types of people are going to handle it differently Mm -hmm. um like for me if i had like my car break down on the side of the road i'd probably lose my cool i because i don't understand cars i don't work on cars i could change a tire that's about the extent of it Mm -hmm. um so i get it when people come in and they're really frustrated because they don't understand what's going on um and i just hope that i can like approach with a smile and like calm them. And I think I do a pretty, I mean, all these years of doing it, um, I don't get the people that like really lose their cool on me hardly ever Mm -hmm. anymore. Um, but it happens. I mean, but it, I mean, it happens at the grocery store when the pasta sauce that this one person (laughs) wants is out of stock, you know? Right. Unfortunately, that's kind of the society that we've raised. Yeah. Is there anything else that you Mm. want to share with people, um, whether it be just general people or people like Mm. maybe going through something hard physically right now Mm -hmm. or anything else about your story? (sighs) Let me see. I feel like we've covered it. It's just so been a lot. It's been my whole year. All of 2020 has been just consumed. Like I've almost not even really feel like I've fully been able to acknowledge the pandemic because I'm like inside living my own thing anyway. Um, So it's bizarre, but it's also like, I do believe that at the end of it, I'm going to come back so much stronger than I was before. And I'm like, if I wasn't already a force to be reckoned with, I really am now. And Mm -hmm. uh, I take no, no shit from anyone. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And also just like you have to, I don't know, especially, and I've been told this by multiple physical therapists as well, but I already believed it inside me. They just kind of confirmed it as like your only limits in healing are the limits you put on yourself. Mm. I mean, yeah, maybe there may come a time, like there a point a year from now or whatever, where I may have to say like, okay, I'm never going to be able to wiggle my toes again, which means I'm going to have to cut out all that hiking I love to do. (laughs) Um, But as of right now, like I just can't put any limits on myself because I've seen time and again throughout my recovery that if I believe like I'm eventually going to be able to do this and then I am able to do it or um, like I'm thinking I'm going to be able to move my ankles. And even right now, like the tiny little twitches of movements that I'm getting when I'm in physical therapy with the like tens units on my muscles each week, it's like getting stronger and stronger. And it's like these tiny little grains of sand of change then became like the amount of changes, like a grain of rice. Mm-hmm. And then it's going to be like a penny size change. And it just exponentially changes until you're suddenly like, Oh my gosh, I can I can do this and you just have to like see the end goal and just work toward it and just believe that there are no limits if you are 
doing it, if you're like putting in the work. That's the thing. I think the pe- people are afraid, scared off by the work that you have to put in. And um, I, I can be sometimes too, but this is one of those things where it's like, I want a quality of life that mm-hmm. is the quality of life that I want. And if I don't push towards getting as close to that as I possibly can, then like, I should have just let them, you know, not worry about the pulmonary embolisms mm-hmm. back in January, you know? It's so interesting because so often we hear take things one day at a time, one step at a time, one day at a mm-hmm. time. But it sounds like you're saying keep the end goal in mind, like keep the big picture. Yeah, for me, and I guess, you know, everybody has their different personalities and stuff like that. But yeah, for me, like seeing a goal and even if it takes a year and a half or two years to meet it, like that is my goal and I am going toward it. And yeah, acknowledge, regularly stop and acknowledge the like points that you've made along the way, but definitely like don't move the goalpost closer to yourself because you don't trust that you can do it. Um, you know, unless like a doctor came in, I mean, even if a doctor came and told me that it wasn't possible, I'd still try for it because I definitely met while I was in rehab. Um, I got to meet several times with a group that's like a, um, support group for people Mm -hmm. with spinal cord injury and paralysis. Um, And several of the people that were like the ambassadors that came in said, doctors told me I would never do X, Y, and Z. And look, I'm able to do those things. So it's like doctors don't know everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And yes, there may end up being limitations to my recovery, my full recovery. But I'm like made such a huge like jump from like not even being able to stand up at all that it's like, well, I just have to keep going. Like, why stop? Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. Thank <laughs> that you makes so, sense. You, it does. <laughs> okay. It's, your story is really, really inspiring. Oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm sorry you had to go through all of that. Me but too. But it's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I've thought about writing a book. You should. I don't I, know. I'm not a writer. <laughs> I have, but I bet that you could be. Yeah. <laughs> Every way you talk, you talk, you can write. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask, do you feel like you have PTSD, but it almost seems like it's too soon to evaluate? Yeah, I don't think I do. Um, The only thing I haven't done yet that I'm like kind of nervous about, but I want it for my like independence is I haven't driven. I haven't like gotten behind the wheel of a car and you can get like connections in the car where you can do the gas and the brake with your fingers, like they attach to the um, steering wheel. But I feel like, um, I'd be able to, you know, when you're on the gas pedal and you like push a little more, you're using your ankle, which I don't have that yet. Um, but I feel like I could still do it with my knee and I've done like simulated driving in physical therapy to make sure a, like earlier I said, I was initially having proprioceptive issues where like, I didn't know where my foot was in space, but now I do like, I don't have to look down to know where the brake pedal is with my foot. Um, so like those types of things, just little things where I could be more independent and not have to have someone taking me places all the time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Do you miss driving? I do. I used to love driving, like, especially I, um, so far behind on like my podcast yours. I try to keep up with, 
I'm oh, like halfway you. through the one that just came out today. Um, but like all the things that I used to do where I would listen to podcasts, like walk my dog, drive. Sometimes I would just go go on a drive to listen to podcasts or music, um, doing repairs on computers at work, those types of things I'm not doing. Mm-hmm. So I get so behind on a – so I'd like to just be able to hop behind the wheel and just like go for a drive. Right. Yeah, I think a lot of people are behind on podcasts right now just because everyone's for different reasons than mm-hmm. you, but everyone's personal routine is thrown a, off. A, a wrench has been thrown into it. Yeah. 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 Um, I also want to, I'm curious, but we can take this out. I'm curious mm-hmm. what your IVF experience was. Um, gosh, it was interesting because we did I feel like if I had it to do again I would have done less attempts at um at uh IUI? Did do before yeah IUI we did three or four of them mm-hmm. I would have done less of those um I think I would have gone like found a weight loss journey before doing IVF because that the hormones really mm-hmm. pushed me over I would have been a little more outspoken about how I was feeling. Um, As I remember, I didn't take any days off of work. Like I just kind of lined it up with my normal days off for like Mm -hmm. the retrieval and stuff. And the last five days prior to my retrieval, I was saying that it felt like my um, ovaries were like two water balloons full of pudding. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and I could like feel them and like mm-hmm. one was sitting on my bladder and I was just uncomfortable. But I talked – self told myself that I was just being a baby and to suck it mm-hmm. up and to just keep going. And then I remember going into the doctor for like that last um, ultrasound before they like really scheduled the retrieval uh-huh. and him going, oh, you must be really uncomfortable. <laughs> and I was like, oh, so I wasn't just being a wimp. And I maybe should have taken a day off right. or t- a couple days off work. Um, I was like rode that line of the hyper ovarian stimulation. Okay. So syndrome. you really responded to the drugs. Yeah. They retrieved 29 eggs. Oh my gosh. 26 of them were mature. Wow. 21 of them fertilized, but then none of them made it to blastocyst till day seven. And it or five, whatever the cutoff day is where they stop watching them. Five, it's either five or seven. I, I think it's five. I did and they, day th- okay, mine were day three, so I don't know blastocyst yeah. timing. That's what it is. They want it to make it to blastocyst by day three, right? N- no, by day five. Okay, now so yeah, day, yeah five. day five, I had zero blastocyst. So mm. day seven, I finally had seven and they froze those. And then like a week later... Uh, Chris got laid off from his job. So we still just have seven embryos sitting, getting for, for paid one day. to be frozen. Yeah. I um, remember I remember when we had, when we stopped, well, when we used all of them. So <laughs> therefore we no longer were paying every month to keep them. Yeah. Well, ours is a yearly payment. Oh, that's good. Goodness. Um, but it's just like, what do I do with those? Are, th- are they going to sit there forever? Like, will it ever be safe? For me to get pregnant, um, mm-hmm. like on my spine, um, or like my mobility with the weight of pregnancy and that kind of stuff, um, that I wonder. But I 
just this year turned 37. So I have a little bit of time. Mm -hmm. I don't have to worry about it right now. I'm just focusing on my health and um, I have my dog to lavish all my love on and yeah. hear her prancing outside my door right now Aww. wanting in. Um, but yeah, I think I would have done it differently. I think I would have taken time off mm-hmm. um, if I had known that I would like respond so in such a way that I was in so much pain. Um, I did all my own shots. I mm-hmm. wouldn't let Same. Chris do the shots for me. I was... Not into it. The trigger ones, those last ones with those teeny tiny little needles, burned. Mm -hmm. That I remember. And I remember having this one huge bruise right below my belly button for like a month afterward. And the hormones, like, I think put me into like the only real depression I ever had in my life was um, after doing IVF. Um, Yeah. And that was like the first time I ever did – therapy and stuff was for that oh yeah well maybe maybe that was a good no i'm not saying you need therapy although I believe <laughs> everyone can benefit from it but maybe that was like yes. a, kind of a good unexpected side effect of that mm-hmm. yeah um yeah i also if i had it to do over again would have done fewer iuis and just gone st- in fact daniel even there was this guy the like the very beginning when we were at the fertility clinic mm-hmm. um there was this guy there who was like in a bad mood and said to Daniel, like, they're going to try to tell you to do all this stuff. Just go straight to IVF. Cause you're going to do it. And you know, just go straight to IVF yeah. and save so much money. And I think that they actually counseled us based on how, cause they know ahead of time a little bit about whether you're going to be a poor responder or not. And yeah. based on like my age and the fact that it looks like my hormones, they recommended that we just go straight to IVF. But I wanted to try a few rounds of IUI Mm -hmm. just because even though ultimately we ended up like wasting money on that, it's Mm -hmm. IUI. So that's artificial insemination for people who don't know IUI versus IVF. It's so much less invasive and it's so much cheaper. Right. Ultimately. So I felt like if I can avoid this thing that's like invasive and sort of scares me and is hugely expensive, we should at least try. But then ultimately, of course, we ended up like doing having to do IVF so many times. And that was my thinking, too, because we had done all of these tests to find out why we weren't getting pregnant. And it was deemed like unexplained infertility. Mm -hmm. So it was just like, what is it? Poor timing. Is it like you know, like, do we just need the assistance of, like, the exact timing? Right. And that's why I was like, let's do IUI. But um, looking back, if I had really known, um, I would have done maybe one or two rounds of the IUI and then moved on. Because I think we did four rounds of IUI. And I was very, I'm very lucky that I have great insurance, not only because of what I've been through this year, but also um, with the IVF. Um you know, we had this pool of money to mm-hmm. pay for uh, fertility treatment. And what they don't really tell you is how m- much that pool whittles down mm-hmm. each IUI you're doing. Oh, and so right. really to get you're your best bang it. for your buck is to just go straight to the IVF because then you get all that money. Um so we used all that money that I had from my insurance for fertility treatments, plus quite a bit of our own money. And um, it was like kind of financially devastating. Mm. Um, and and even then, I still feel like we didn't get the results that I want. 
we didn't do um, the testing, the mm-hmm. genetic testing. And I've, like, come a long way since then about, like, my feelings about the children that I want and stuff. But I've always seen myself as a girl mom. Uh-huh. Like, I just don't know what to do with boys. Like I said, I was raised by women, like, these uh-huh. strong women. And, like, really don't feel like I need boys in my life. <laughs> and I just wanted girls. I want girls. And I feel like the embryos that don't even make it to blastocyst till day seven are boy embryos. <laughs> Because they're just slower. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. But now I'm just like, I'll take whatever I can get. And hey, if I have like the next uh, Fred Astaire, (laughs) or I guess for the like newer, the younger theater lovers, if I have like the next, uh, you know, Jonathan Groff. (laughs) Yeah. Love him. <laughs> the next Lin-Manuel Miranda. Like, okay, that's fine. <laughs> Sarah, it was so nice having you on the show. Thank, Thank you, you so, so much. much. Um, everyone, I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash Allison Rosen's ready to go for that. <laughs> Thank you. I'm also on Cameo. Um, if you like what you're hearing, subscribe, tell a friend, leave a nice review, uh, and also listen to Childish. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Rosen. Do you want to plug anything? Tell anyone about anything? I want to plug your Patreon because oh. I think that you are so kind. You care so much about your listeners. And that's like the way that you – like I don't know that you knew who I was as a listener before I was a Patreon subscriber and like doing like the monthly um, – video mm-hmm. with you the and the stream, chats yeah. and stuff when you really like get to know people and like you're just how much you care about your listeners and like even the fact that I got that message from you like Sarah what is going on I see that you're in the hospital and that like I felt so cared about I'm like this person has a blue check next to their name in Twitter and Instagram <laughs> and they care about me like um so I just like if you want to actually be Allison Rosen's new best friend, you should get on her Patreon. <laughs> Thank you. That was such a nice uh, a nice uh, plug for my Patreon. That was so nice. It's Thank true. You. Yeah. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Time, but now we gotta go. Yeah, Allison Rosen is your new best.